Father, we want to be a church that is as fervent in worshiping you as we are asking you for things. Father, we want you to respond to us in a massive way. So Lord, we're going to respond to you in a massive way this morning. We're going to praise you in a massive way this morning. And Lord, we don't want it to be anything other than what is pure coming from our hearts, Lord. The purity that is in us, Lord, is you. And that's what we worship from, Father. That's what we praise you from. We praise you from that foundation. And Lord, there is none like you. There is none like you, Father. Lord, we surrender. Just like this song says. In awe of the one who gave it all. There's nothing that you left. Father, you gave the whole thing. And Lord, who are we not to give you all of us? So Lord, this morning we surrender, Father. We don't want to move forward unless the, the Spirit is in this building. Lord, you're in this building. We feel you. I pray that you move from each person, from the front to the back, from the top to the bottom. Consume this place with your consuming fire, Father. Anything that is not of you, burn it away. Come on, Jesus. Yes, Father. Hey, hey. Father, we need you this morning. We do. Lord, there's, there's words that you're speaking to us right now. There's things that you're dropping into our spirit. Father, I pray that you would stir the pot on that. There's things that you're formulating in us, whether that be something that has been years in the making, or Father, that, is, that, that started this morning. But nonetheless, I pray that we're obedient to that. I pray for the obedience of faith to come forth this morning. Come on, Father. Come on, Jesus. Come on now. God, we need you. Lord, we love you. We thank you for being here. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. You guys can be seated. So the Lord's going to do some work today. I don't know what that's going to look like. <laughs> but he's obviously in the building. Amen. Uh, so we just want to be able to um, listen and have discernment for what's next. Thank you for being here this morning. Uh, I always say that you guys could have spent your time anywhere else, but you decided to come here with us and listen to me talk about Jesus. Love it. Amen. Everybody in here looks good. I would tell you if you didn't. I'm just kidding. Please come back next week. All right. Um, so I appreciate, again, you guys being here. But last week, well, let me just say this. For those of you who are here for the first time, also those of you who have been here for a thousand years, uh, we're going through the book of Romans. And we started this beginning of January. Here we are almost to the end. We're in the, the, the 20s now. And we haven't even gotten past verse 7. It's great. There's a lot of depth to this book. Uh, and I just want to preface this message with, with this statement. And I didn't really have the language for this last service, but I think the Lord has given that to me for this service. and uh, It's this, to boast in Jesus like a bride would in her husband. <coughs> Let's
let that be the, the plate on which you receive today. Boast in Christ just like a bride would boast in her husband. Because I'm going to say this to you, whether you're in here married or not, you are the bride of Christ. You are. Now, it took me a little while, first service, to get to that, but I'm just coming straight with it today. Hey, you are the bride of Christ. Um, we're going to see, as you have up on the, the screen in front of you here, the, the message. These two words, privilege and duty. And how... As we read through verses 1 through 7, which will be like the fifth time that we've read through those verses. Today's text is verses 6 and 7. But we see something about Romans and it being specifically about God's righteousness. The righteousness of God. Which is also the gospel of Jesus Christ. But the privilege of that and the duty that's connected to it is something that is spoken to us in verses 6 and 7 by Paul. Now, this isn't Alex's idea of what's happening in verse 6 and 7. What I love about Romans is that the book explains itself. Well, let me just say that about the entire word. The entire word of God explains itself. There's no amount of my analogies, my personality, my jokes that are apparently bad that will bring anybody to Christ or get you guys to experience the Word of God. There's nothing that will do that like the Word itself. Amen? Amen. And so, uh, last week, I remember being, well, two weeks ago, I remember being somewhat transparent with you guys about here's what the Lord is doing with Jesus Christ Fellowship. And He's bringing us into a place of her proper working. And I used the word last week. Eh, not last week, two weeks ago, I'll get to last week, that uh, kind of explained where I was at with all of this, stepping into this new territory. And I became overwhelmed, like massively overwhelmed. And I was being transparent with you guys saying, look man, it's scaring the crap out of me. It's scaring me out of my boot. No? I didn't get one on that one, alright. Scaring me to the point where it didn't cause me to run out the door. But it caused me to turn my, my hand to the plow and get to work. So the next week, the Lord took me to Philippians 4.9. And I brought that last week. And the Lord was saying, look man, you, uh, let's just call it what it is. You're trying to say overwhelmed, but let's just call it what it is. You got a massive amount of anxiety. Anybody in here ever dealt with anxiety? <laughs> yes. You better be raising your hand, alright? And... What he was saying to me was that let's call a spade a spade. Let's just be real. And what Philippians 4, 6-9 through 9 speaks about is that famous verse that be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer, supplication, and thanksgiving make your requests known to the Lord, known to God. But it was verses 8 and 9 that got me. Because he goes through a list of things. He says whatever is good, whatever is true, pure, of good repute. List of eight things, and I could turn there. Um, I probably should, so I don't misquote it. But here is what the Lord said to me. Dwell on these things. You know what my anxiety did? It got up and left, because it could not sit in the same room that Jesus was in. Does that make sense? So we got back to Romans 1, verses 2 through 5. And my mind was dwelling on what on who Paul was explaining the gospel to be. Jesus Christ. 
Paul does a couple of things in these first seven verses. It's not like any introduction to any letter that he has ever written. Most of the letters that he writes, he, the, the typical grace and peace to you, I've come, my name is Paul, um, and it's just real short, couple verses. But here, he spends some time, and he spends some time for a reason. Those other letters or epistles were specific to churches who may have had character issues or behavioral issues, so he was, he was getting at that. But the reason why this introduction is so potent is because he's explaining the foundation of why we believe what we believe. And you guys know it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, for the next 50, 100 years, however long it takes us to get through Romans, because we're going line by line, verse by verse, you will hear me say the gospel of Jesus Christ. I will beat that into the ground and I will not apologize for it. Because I will tell you, if, it, if it's not about anything other than that, we got it wrong. So Paul is explaining to us a couple of things in verses 2 through 5. This was last week's message, the antiquity of the gospel, the subject matter of the gospel, and the fruit of the gospel. Last week's message was the obedience of faith. That is where the gospel brings us, to the obedience of faith. Yet, I explained to you guys, everybody's got faith. Everybody does. question is, what do you have faith in? Now you go back up and you look at Paul explain the subject matter of the gospel. Does, is your gospel centered around Jesus Christ? Or is it centered around yourself? See, what he does in those first few verses, he says God is all that is man, and He's all that is God. But see, here's the part as I move to verse 6 and 7 that I, I want to go back and just touch on before we jump into this. He explained in verse 3 that he is all that is, is man, being a descendant of, of David. Then he jumps in, he says, here's why, no, let me explain my deity. And his deity was free of what? Your and my opinion. He is God because of one thing. Verse 4, it says, who was declared the Son of God with what? Power by the resurrection of the dead according to the spirit of holiness. See, no other religion can claim that. No other religion can claim that their God walked out of the tomb. Now, is there anybody in here this morning? Amen. Yeah. That the reason why my God is who He says He is is because He conquered death. Amen. And I'll tell you what, that can't live in the same room as my anxiety. So the Lord just said, hey, dwell on that. Dwell on the fact that I need you to cease striving. Psalms 46.10 Be still and know that I am God. Dwell on these things. Are you with me this morning? So Paul in verse 1 explains himself and his relationship to the gospel. Also his mission with it. Paul, bondservant, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel. And then in those verses 2 through 5, he explains who the gospel is and its connection, not only with us, all that is man, but also with the Spirit, with everything known to man in existence. But then in verses 6 and 7, he explains our relationship with the gospel, our mission and connection with the gospel. So 
Paul speaks about himself. He speaks about God. Now guess what he's speaking about? He's speaking about you and me. He's speaking about you and I. And saying, look, you are called something. And you are called to something. Now, are you guys with me this morning? I'm going to read verses 1 through 7. Again, this is like the 1500th time that we've done that, but that's okay. I don't care. I will never apologize for reading too much scripture, alright? I will apologize for talking too much. But here's verses 1 through 7. And it says this, Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son who was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh and who was declared the son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead according to the spirit of holiness. Jesus Christ our Lord through whom we Paul speaking about the apostles have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his name's sake among whom you you and I also are the called everybody say called of Jesus Christ to all who are beloved of God in Rome everybody say beloved yeah again called as saints everybody say saints grace to you and peace from God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. See, these verses 6 and 7, there, there's so much in there. And there's, there's a lot of times where I'm trying to prepare a message, and I read the next set of Scripture, and I'm thinking to myself, Lord, what is, what, what is going on here? How, how do you expect me to, to preach this when it's, there's not a whole lot in here? And I encourage you guys that if you ever get to that point, Number one, the gospel is in every letter. The gospel is in every period, every comma, every piece of punctuation from Genesis to Revelation. And if you simply just slow down and let the Spirit speak to you through the Word of God, He will illuminate things in very small words that you never even knew were there. Now these verses 6 and 7, there's a lot in there. And I was saying that to the Lord, help me out with this. And so, I, I, the three words that I had you repeat, called, beloved, and saint. As we connect the message, excuse me, the title of this message to Romans, 6, Romans 1, 6, and 7, I want to make this statement to you. That our connection to the gospel is a privilege which then makes our mission a duty. Our connection to the gospel is a privilege which makes our mission a duty. Catch that. Now as I begin to break this scripture down, the Lord led me to look at these three words in the Greek. And you're going to get just a little bit of a teaching this morning. I'm not a teacher. Okay? I'm a pastor. Everybody in here knows Beck is a teacher. You go to that Wednesday night Bible study, my goodness. The boy blows it up. But as we look at these three words in the Greek, they speak something to us about the context of this scripture. 
And it's so easy for me as a pastor, up here, you guys listening, for me to take Scripture out of context. I could do that. But what I love about Romans is that it explains itself. All you need to do is dig. We don't ever want to take Scripture out of context. Amen? Amen. So, the Greek, the Hebrew, Aramaic, the original languages that the Word was written in, help us understand more about what's being said. Because the English language will butcher the mess out of the Word of God. <laughs> but take it back to its original meaning and you see the Gospel in it. You see Christ trying to say something to us from Genesis to Revelation. So we, what I want to do is I want to look at this word beloved first. Beloved. Because that's where the privilege, excuse me, the privilege lies. So in the Greek, beloved in the Greek, the Greek word for that is agapetos. Okay, hopefully I got that right. And the definition of this word means this. It means esteemed. It means dear. It means favorite. And it means worthy of love. Now in the context of this, it is communicating to us in verse 7, to all who are beloved of God. Not beloved of your father, earthly father, or beloved of your earthly mother, or your job, or your expensive or non-expensive car, whatever it is. <laughs> You're beloved of God. Now this last word here, worthy of love, what makes us worthy of this love? What makes us this beloved? It's very simple. That the Lord gave you a choice. And that choice was to either choose Him or to not choose Him. It's very black and white. There is no gray area. But here's what I want to communicate to you that I think you guys know, but it's, it's good to be reminded. He made a choice as well that He didn't have to make. He didn't have to go to the cross. He didn't have to hang on the cross and get pierced in the side and pay with His life, pay with His flesh, and pay with His blood. But guess what? He chose to do that. He chose you. What makes me worthy of love is the cross. Not anything that I can do. Not so many steps that I can climb. Not all these things that I can accumulate. The only thing that makes me worthy is the choice that He made for me. But guess what? Also, the choice that I made to follow Him. Are you with me this morning? Because of that, you now become, watch this, His bride. His beloved, His favorite, His esteemed. Are you guys trucking with me this morning? His bride, to be His bride. It's all over Scripture. That He speaks of the church. Those who have chosen Him. Because He chose us. He's not going to force anybody to do it. He's not going to do it. He's not that type of God. But when you do, you become his bride. His bride, being his bride, ladies and gentlemen, being the beloved is the privilege. If, you, if we don't see that as a privilege, then we walk around here like self-entitled Christians. Paul wrote his letter to a Jewish nation who was just that. They felt like they were self-righteous. They were self-entitled. He's also writing his letter to a Gentile 
audience, which, simply put, is just non-believers, non-Jews. The self-indulgent. The privilege of the gospel, ladies and gentlemen, moves us to this duty. Alright? Now the next word we're going to look at here is this word saint. Saint in the Greek is hagios, and it means sacred, a most holy thing. Now the definition of the word sacred means this, connected with God or dedicated to a religious purpose. So if he's saying to all who are beloved of God in Rome, called as saints, my privilege of being connected to the gospel should move me to a place where I live it out as a saint. Therefore, my entire life is dedicated to the purpose of the gospel. Amen. Who is the gospel? Jesus Christ. You guys trucking with me this morning. I got to lay this groundwork before we look at some other things, but it is so important that we understand that the Lord didn't have to do this, but He did. We didn't have to choose Him, but we did. If there's anybody in here who has not chosen Him yet, we'll get to that. There'll be an opportunity for that later. We don't want to miss that. But for what He did for little old me, hanging on the cross, being brutally beaten, wearing a crown of thorns, all because He wanted me to have access to Him. Amen. Man, that's a privilege. Because of that, because of my devotion to Him, I should be dedicated. I should live as a saint. I should be pouring out all of who I am to all of who He is. And I'll tell you what, ladies and gentlemen, there's times in my life I'm not doing that. Talk about transparency. <laughs> yeah, let's be real. We cannot do that on our own. It's because of the relationship that we are even able to do that. You with me this morning? My duty in living as a saint connected and dedicated is because of the privilege of being His bride. Now, let me ask you this question. I have a wonderful opportunity of sitting down with Rick Richter every week. Uh, some of you guys know him very well. Some of y'all have no idea who I'm talking about. <laughs> but he also operates in that gifting of a pastor. And he posed this question to me, I don't know how many years ago, but it just, it, it wasn't directed at me as much as it was just something that got me thinking. And he said this, and I want to ask you the same thing. Did he as in Jesus, did He overpay for what He's getting in return? Automatically, I start thinking about my life. Did, did God overpay giving His life, spilling His blood, giving His flesh for what He's getting in return from me? That's a very, very sobering question. Is my lack of faith and doubt and unbelief a fair exchange for the privilege to be His beloved? See, Romans, anybody who's ever preached it and studied it, read it from front to back, it will transform your life. 
it is doing that to me in this very moment. I've been walking with the Lord since I was five years old. And in the first seven verses, He has deepened me to a place I have never been before. I have so many years of being a Christian. That doesn't mean anything. Alright? <laughs> He's saying, look, for what you're giving me, did I overpay for you? To be able to be real in answering that question, I think, is good. But at the same time, the Lord will uncover a problem in our life and then give us a solution for it. So there's a solution. But Paul, again, is, is, is kind of defining here our relationship to the gospel, to the Lord. He's speaking to us as His beloved and as His saints, both a privilege and a duty. So let's look at this last word, called. Now this last word is used twice in these last two verses. Verses 6 and 7. Among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. The authority that's doing the calling. Called of Jesus Christ. And then, to all who are beloved of God in Rome, called as saints. See, that is the destination of the call. The authority who's doing the calling... Jesus Christ. It's a privilege to even be called. The destination of our call is then to what? Live it out. Just because, I've said this before, you sit in a garage doesn't make you a car. Because you come and sit in these weird pews with red cushions and we rolled out the red carpet for you doesn't make you a Christian. Sitting in church don't make you a Christian. Living out the gospel in you makes you a follower of Christ. Now, I'm not sitting up here trying to beat you in the head with that. I'm saying, I'm subject to that principle just as much as you are. You guys with me this morning? This word called in the Greek is kletos. C-L-E-T-O-S. And this is what the Lord began to unwrap in one word. I don't want to sit up here and just teach all day. But here's where He made it not just about knowing the Word. This is where the relationship comes in. Because from beginning to end in your life, from birth to bereavement, from Genesis to Revelation, from sun up to sundown, He is more concerned about His relationship with you than anything else. He could care less how much you know, how much you can spit out, how much Scripture you can memorize. He wants to know that you're close and want to be close to Him. He's all about the relationship. And in this one word, called, the Lord's like, here it is. And we're going to visit some more scripture to, to uh, unwrap this. But again, this Greek word for called is kletos, meaning this right here. Invited. But here's the part that smacked me in the face. It's invited to a banquet. That's what this word means in the context of these verses. Called, invited to a banquet. There's a picture of this in the word that Jesus himself uses. And we're going to turn to Matthew 22, 1 through 14. And I'm going to read that to you. But I've got to make this statement before we do that. That with the understanding that this word called means invited. If we read back through this, 
The Lord's saying, not only are we invited to a banquet by the authority of Christ, among whom all of you are the called of Jesus Christ, we are invited to participate in it, to live it out. This will make sense once we go through this. To be clothed in it. To all who are beloved of God in Rome, called as saints. So with those three words, those understanding, the understanding of those three words, let's turn to Matthew 22, 1-14. through 14. And here's what this parable is. This is Jesus speaking. And I love it because it's the red letters. Man, this is straight from the Lord's mouth. There's a, uh, this parable is the parable of the wedding feast. It's a parable of a banquet that is to be had. Now, similar to the parable of the great banquet in Luke 14, um, where is that? 15 through 24. But this is a different occasion. Remember when I told you that you are the bride of Christ? This is where the Lord begins to unwrap this relationship that He has with us. Now, you got to understand, before we jump into this, let me explain just, let me take about two minutes to explain um, the culture of the time when it came to marriages in Jesus' Jesus's time when He walked this earth. What would happen is the man and his parents and the woman and her parents would get together and they would write up this marriage contract and all parties would sign this thing. So it's kind of like a marriage license. All right? Now what happens in our day and age is, you know, ceremony and throw the whatever you choose to throw on the bride and groom as they walk to the vehicle or scooter or whatever it is. And then they go and they live together. Well, in Jewish custom, Jewish culture, what would happen is after that signing of that contract, the man would then go leave. And he would go prepare the home, prepare the house for this bride. But the bride would stay at home. And she would be responsible for preparing herself for her husband. Now, see, the interesting thing about this, and it's, it just speaks so much about the Lord and His character, also, his scripture, the husband wouldn't tell the wife when, she was, when he was going to return. So it was on the wife, it was her duty to be prepared every single day for the coming of her husband. Does that sound familiar? See, you know what the Lord did with us? He signed a contract with his blood, he signed a contract with the cross. And after he walked out of the tomb, he spent some 40 days with us. And then he returned to heaven. And he communicated to us that he's preparing a place for you in the heavenlies. And all he's asking us to do is to be prepared for when he comes back. Why? Because scripture says you don't know the time, you don't know the hour when our Lord will return. So here is the Lord bringing up this parable of the, the marriage feast to the audience that He's speaking to, yet He's done the very same thing with His bride, with you. Our relationship to the gospel 
as his beloved, as the privilege of being his beloved, if he overpaid for what he's getting in return, that's travesty. But to take it to the other side of the spectrum, it's my duty to be prepared for him to return. Because of the privilege, I prepare myself every single day. Now, ladies and gentlemen, again, you could all be very convicted and moved by the scripture today, and it'd be great. Man, that was a great sermon. And then walk out, and 10 minutes later, nothing changed. Do you realize he is as concerned about you as he is about me, as he is about the person next to you, coming back for us? It could be in the next five minutes. I want to make that so real. Actually, you know what? I can't make it real. But I want to emphasize it. Do we live our life like that? <laughs> Am I giving Him in return what He paid for me? Now, there's no possible way to do that. But giving all of yourself, that's a start. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You guys with me this morning? So let's read this because after that husband would come back and get his wife, they would have the wedding ceremony. It was at that time that they were officially married. okay? And then they would have this banquet. This word called, being invited to a banquet. There's something so significant about this banquet. And it's directly connected to salvation. Hear me when I say that. It's directly connected to the gospel. So let me read these, these 14 verses. And just follow along with me if you have your word. We got it up on the screen as well. Starting off in verse 1. Chapter 22 of Matthew. Jesus spoke to them again in a parable, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. And he sent out his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding feast. And they were unwilling to come. Again, he sent out other slaves, saying, Tell those who have been invited, Behold, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, my fat and livestock are all butchered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went their way, one to his own farm, another to his business, and the rest seized his slaves and mistreated them and killed them. Verse 7. But the king was enraged, and he sent his armies and destroyed those murderers and set their city on fire. Then he said <clears throat> excuse me, to his slaves, The wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main highways, and as many as you find there, invite to the wedding feast. Those slaves went out into the streets and gathered together all they found, both evil and good. And the wedding hall was filled with dinner guests. Verse 11. But when the king came in to look over the dinner guests, he saw a man there who was not dressed in wedding clothes. And he said to him, Friend, how did you come in here without wedding clothes? And the man was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, Bind him hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. It's quite the story. It's quite the parable. 
that Jesus uses here. Now obviously the king in this story is the father. And the son in this story is Jesus Christ. The father has prepared for his son this feast. The Lord had to prepare Jesus for what he did on this earth. Now, we read through that there's a group of people who had been invited, but they rejected the invitation. You know who that's speaking about? Speaking about the Israelites. Speaking about the Jewish nation who, even when the Father, even when Jesus showed up, they still didn't accept Him. They still didn't even welcome Him in as the Messiah and as the King. Here's this invitation that you have to have complete access to the throne. And they said, you know what? I got to tend to my field. I got to go do something different. I got an excuse. Now, as we look at uh, the, the parable of the great banquet in Luke 14, uh, one of the guys says, I have a wife, therefore I cannot go. <laughs> now, to me, I'm like, that's an interesting or, uh, excuse. But it's like there's... Let's just pull out everything that we possibly can to say, you know what, the invitation has been sent, but I'm going to reject this invitation. He's speaking about the Israelites, the Jewish nation. So then what happens? He says, I need you to go out into the streets and just ask anyone. So we have to understand that Paul's motive for even writing the book of Romans was to speak to a self-righteous Jewish nation who thought they were spiritual elitists, but also to the Gentiles who didn't know Jesus. So this parable is saying that this king told his slaves, you and I, okay, as we are the Lord's servants, bond servants, slaves today, is, as we, as we uh, understand that word, is not like it was in the Bible. Okay, People weren't getting whipped and all that business. It was just the bond servant business. All right, So let's not take that out of context. All right? The king's slaves went out and they broadcast this invitation to everybody. Now, who's the gospel for? Everybody. The whole reason Paul is preaching this gospel is what did we read in verse 5? So that the Gentiles could be brought to the obedience of faith. Gentiles basically meaning the non-believer. So this king says to the slaves, go out, broadcast this to everybody, invite anybody who you can. Bring them in. The, the, the banquet hall is filled. And then we get to this verse, uh, what is it here? Verse 11. But when the king, the king came in to look over the dinner guests, he saw a man there who was not dressed in wedding clothes. Now you think from 11 to 13, you're like, oh man, like he showed up. There's an invitation, he showed up, but why'd you kick him out into the street where there was darkness? Okay? And gnashing of teeth. Do you know what that is, is in connection to? The word Sheol, which is also the word for hell. That is, hell is explained in the Bible. It's explained as complete darkness, absence of God, and there will be gnashing of teeth. So, there's something being communicated here. That as this man showed up, he was not wearing what? Wedding clothes. He wasn't clothed in the right attire. Now here's what this is speaking. In Jewish culture, for whatever reason, they provided wedding clothes for those who attended this banquet so that they could be covered in something that was provided for them. Do you know what that is? 
That is salvation, ladies and gentlemen. This man walks into this banquet that he's in, been invited to by the king. And he walks in with his sin and his filthy rags. Saying, this is sufficient. Maybe not even knowing. We don't really have much of an understanding as to why he didn't accept the wedding gown or the wedding covering. The wedding garments. But for what Jesus did for you and I, as it is spoken in Revelation, it's either 7, 9 or 9, 7. Uh, let's see here. So make sure, I just want to make sure I get this right. I'll take all the time I need in order to give you guys the right scripture. 7, 9, excuse me. That as we are in heaven, we're wearing these white robes. We're wearing different attire. We're not coming in clothed in sin and filthy rags. But what the Lord did for us on the cross is He took everything that was filthy and He made it clean. So if I'm invited to this banquet, invited by Jesus Himself, invited by the Gospel, I have a choice. You and I have a choice. The invitation has been given, but we can either reject it like the Israelites did, like the Jews did, or we can accept it. But once we accept it, in order to participate, here's the duty, here's the participation part, ladies and gentlemen. In order to participate, you've got to be clothed in salvation. Are you with me this morning? What is that salvation? That's giving yourself not to yourself. That's giving yourself to all of who Jesus is, all of who the gospel is. And the, he's very clear, which I want to be very clear with you today about the alternative to not being clothed in the wedding garment, to not accepting salvation which is brought by Jesus. I would be a bad leader and a bad pastor, a bad uh, proclaimer of the word if I wasn't black and white with it. There's only one way to heaven. There is only one way to enter the kingdom. And it tells us this in Romans, the latter chapters. On chapter 10 or so it says, If a man would just confess with his mouth and believe in his heart that Jesus is Lord, then you're in. How easy is that? But how often do we think, you know what I got to do? I got I to gotta climb this ladder and I got to get onto this here and my works can get me through the gates. Sorry, no amount of old ladies you walk across the street ain't going to get you into heaven, alright? No amount of thank you cards that you send at Christmas or, you know, what's up? It's not going to work. All you have to do is choose to be clothed in the wedding garment. All you got to do. Because the alternative, ladies and gentlemen, is absence from God for eternity. If I was to... Eternity can't be measured. Okay? It just can't. Why? It's eternity. It's infinity. Okay? It doesn't stop. <laughs> but if I was to say that eternity was from that wall to that wall, my lifespan would be a fraction of a speck of dust in that corner. How's that for perspective? You want to spend an eternity in absence of Him? Or do you want to spend an eternity clothed in this white robe screaming, Holy, Holy, Holy.
because He is the Lord God Almighty. You guys with me this morning? All of that from one word, called. You kidding me? Here I am thinking, Lord, what do you want me to preach? What do you want me to say? He's like, I got it. I got it. Just relax. Okay? I got you, son. So I just want to make sure that we're, we're, we're catching that. The point of the parable of the wedding feast, God sent into the world His Son, and the very people who should have celebrated His coming rejected Him. Bringing judgment upon themselves. As a result, the kingdom of heaven was open to anyone and everyone who would set aside his own righteousness and by faith accept the righteousness God provides in Christ. Those who rejected the gift of salvation and cling to their own good works will spend eternity in darkness which is hell. Now, ladies and gentlemen, you don't have to take my word for it. You don't have to agree with me. Matter of fact, you don't even have to agree with the word. You really don't. But your and my opinion doesn't make it true or not true. It's true because God said it was true. It's true because He spoke it. It's true because He lived it. I'll tell you what, it's true because he's working in you as I speak right now. I mean, he, he is. So we can spend time trying to rationalize this away like uh, I just, I want to choose some of me and some of him and all that business. But at some point we're all going to have to stand in front of him. We are. And did he overpay for what he's getting in return? Don't let that statement be something that beats you to the ground. No, that's not it. Because the enemy wants you to do that. He wants you to be that self-sabotaging, beat-yourself-up Christian that I've realized how bad I am, I'm just so bad, and then before you know it, I shouldn't even be a Christian. Well, stop that, stop it. What did I say earlier? He shows you your problem, then He gives you a resolution. He gives you a solution for that. The solution is to dwell on Him. To step into all of who He is. And to live it out. Because there's examples in each and every one of our lives where we, we, see, we see the Lord moving. There's no way that could have happened by my, by my might. Again, Paul is speaking to us saying we're, we've been called. <coughs> invited to a banquet by the authority of Jesus Christ. The invitation isn't for the purpose of rejection, but for the purpose of participation. Participating to make sure his sacrifice wasn't an overpayment. See this whole participation business? He just wants you to do just that. To understand that it's a privilege to be called His beloved. But that moves us to a place where it's our duty to live that out. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called as an apostle set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in his holy scriptures, concerning his son who was born a descendant of David, according to the flesh, who was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, according to the Spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord, 
through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for His namesake, among whom you also, the called of Jesus Christ, to all who are beloved of God in Rome, called as saints. And then His apostolic benediction. Grace to you and peace from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Man, there's so much in there. Can I get the uh, worship team to come back up and let's get prepared for our offering as we close here? Earlier in the message I said that there's, there's something about accepting Jesus and what He did for you that makes you His beloved. That again, it's something that He chose to do. He didn't have to do it. And how do we know that? In the Garden of Gethsemane, He was praying so hard for this cup to pass from Him. Even Jesus was like, Hey, Lord, if you got another way, can you, can you do it? There is no other way. So He said, Okay, if there is no other way, I will do this. He didn't have to do it, but He did. We didn't have to accept it, but if we do, we become His beloved. My question to everybody in here today is do you know for sure that you are His beloved? Do you know for sure that when you take your last breath, that you're going to be standing in front of Him and walking through the pearly gates, if we want to call it that? And if you don't, that's okay. Because again, I said, the Lord will show us the issue, but then give us a resolution and a solution to that issue. So let's come up here. Uh, I'll pray for this offering and then kind of continue what I'm saying here. Because this is, this is important. Father, we just thank you for uh, the offering, Lord, and the, the opportunity to be able to give and just... Uh, Lord, I just pray that you would, as you are always constantly looking at our heart, Father, and, and our motivation behind why we do anything, Father, that we can release what is yours to you. Um, just according to your word. And so I pray that you bless what's put in there and you show us how to give with a joyful heart. We love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've never made that choice or that leap, first we got to understand that Adam and Eve were free of sin before the fall, before the apple, pretty much. Here we go. Here we go. Um... And what sin did is it separated us from a relationship with the Lord. And you know what? He wants you to come screaming and running back to Him just like that little boy just went upstairs, up, the, up on stage to his mom. He's saying that there's some kind of separation. There is separation that happened between you and I because of sin. But here's what I did. I sacrificed myself to close that gap so that you can now have a relationship with me be in communion with me so that every single day crying snot filled face running back to Jesus just like this again just like this little boy just came flying up here love it if you've had if you've never made that commitment transferring your trust from yourself saying Lord I don't want to have faith in myself I don't want to have faith in anything other than you 
transferring all of that to Him, say, I, I need you, I want you, then I want to give you that opportunity this morning. So let's, let's pray. Father, we know that no man, no message from a man's mouth, no amount of words, sentences, eloquence of speech, no amount of programs, anything can change a man's heart except for you. So Lord, I pray that in this moment, if you are moving on any individual's heart, you are, to where they realize that, man, I haven't made that commitment yet, but I want to. Father, we praise your name for getting that individual's heart into that place. And Lord, we want to pray as a congregation for that person. That they're saying we want to transfer our trust from ourselves to you. Taking our head knowledge, everything that we know about you, to heart knowledge, which then translates to our feet. We go and we walk it out. Father, if there's anybody in here who wants to say for the first time, Lord, be my God, be my Savior. I pray all that they would do is just raise their hand. And we'll pray for you. We'll pray, we'll pray with you. If that's you this morning, if the Lord has moved you to a place to give your life to Him for the first time, just put your hand in the air. Just raise it up. Don't miss this opportunity. The Lord is knocking. <laughs> Hallelujah. Father, thank you for that. Lord, we thank you so much for what you've done in this moment. That a, that a, a four-year-old child, three-year-old child can throw his hand up. And Lord, collectively as a group, we pray for this young man up here. Lord, that I will never, ever believe that even if somebody who is considered in this day and age someone who doesn't know what they're doing because of their age, I don't believe that. I believe that you have moved on this young man's life. And he put his hands in the air because he's listening. <laughs> and Father, I thank you so much for that. I thank you for Kobe, Lord. I thank you for the commitment that he is beginning to make. Whether he even knows it or not, Father, I, you're working in him. Father, you have welcomed this young man into the kingdom of heaven. Lord, we thank you for that. Lord, I pray that you would begin to work in this young man's life, begin to show him more of you. That the things that will come out of his mouth are purely from the kingdom. People are saying, how can this young kid be speaking about Jesus? Because he's in there. Father, thank you for that. Lord, we love you. We thank you in Jesus' name, everybody said. Let's stand to our feet as we close in this song. And I'll give you the benediction as you sing. For anything. And Lord, we stand for that which is rooted and founded and grounded and planted in the gospel of Jesus Christ, Father. Nothing else is what we want to stand for. Nothing else will grab our attention like you, Father. So Lord, as we go from this place, I, I, I pray for a, a manifestation of what has been heard in our lives so that it will play itself out in relationship with other people. That people will say, why is that person different? Why is it that they're... I can see that they're dealing with all kinds of opposition 
yet they got a smile on their face and they're praising this guy named Jesus. Lord, I pray that that's our example. Because, Lord, we stand for the gospel. We stand because we are your beloved. We stand because we're called. We stand because we've got to walk in it. Father, be with us. I pray that this isn't just a Sunday morning experience, Lord, but as we go out into our week, it transforms our lives. It transforms the way that we think, that we speak, that we breathe. That we're bold enough, Father, just like it says in Romans 1.16, I am unashamed of the gospel. Lord, I pray that on everybody in here that they are unashamed of who has saved them from the pit of hell, Father. Lord, we love you. Make this real for us. Protect us as we go from here. I pray that the armor of God extinguishes the flaming arrows of the enemy. We are protected by the Spirit. We're protected by your word. We love you, Father. We thank you. We need you. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. You guys are free to go home. Yes, from now.